I'm Heather Bushman for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. And I'm Yadira Galindo. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. Today on N Equals One, we're talking about diabetes, more specifically a recent clinical trial in which an asthma drug lowered blood glucose levels in some people with type 2 diabetes. So I can't believe this is actually the first time diabetes has even come up on this podcast, given how common it is. Right, I know. Um, in fact, a recent Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report said that more than 30 million people, or 9.4% of the U.S. population, are living with diabetes. And an additional 84 million have prediabetes, which, if left untreated, can lead to type 2 diabetes. Wow. So what exactly causes diabetes? Well, in the case of type 1 diabetes, it can occur as an autoimmune disorder. The body's immune system destroys the insulin-producing cells in the pancreas called beta cells. Without insulin, the body can't metabolize the glucose or sugar from the food that you eat um, that's turned into energy. The onset of type 1 diabetes usually occurs in children or young adults. So that's the one we, well, historically have called juvenile diabetes. Right. Um, so now it's just referred to as type 1 because they've actually found that it can happen later than previously thought, hmm. up to like mid-20s. Wow. In people with type 2 diabetes, the body is producing insulin, but there's an imbalance in metabolism caused when the body becomes insulin resistant. Now the sugar just builds up because insulin cannot be cleared from the body. Approximately 95% of people with diabetes have type 2. Okay, but what's the connection between obesity and type 2 diabetes? Because we always hear about those going sort of hand in hand, right? Well, some of the risk factors for type 2 diabetes are age, race, genetics, nutrition, and obesity, among other things. Mm. Some 90% of people with type 2 diabetes are overweight or have obesity. The exact link really between the two, uh, between weight and diabetes, is still unclear. But basically, obesity causes chronic inflammation, which creates an added challenge on the body to use insulin to control blood sugar levels. This imbalance forces the body to change how it secretes and responds to hormones like insulin, which is the master regulator of sugar storage and use. So this imbalance can then lead to type 2 diabetes. So what's new in the search for ways to treat type 2 diabetes? Well, for years now, there's been very little change in how diabetes is treated. Researchers have been investigating a variety of ways to tackle a disease, and I mean, really, they've looked at it in so many different ways. Um, but re recently, uh, Alan Saltiel, the director of the UC San Diego Institute for Diabetes and Metabolic Health, and a team of other UC San Diego and University of Mi Michigan researchers may have discovered a new therapeutic approach for treating type 2 diabetes using an existing anti-asthma drug that appears to have a connection to inflammation. I'll let Dr. Saltiel explain how this drug works in diabetes, something they worked out previously in mice. The drug was an, it's an inhibitor of two enzymes called IKK Epsilon and TBK1. Um, the background on these two enzymes is that we discovered years ago, a few years ago, that these two enzymes are induced in obese mice, and if you block them, you, in, you can cause the mice to lose weight 
and improve their sensitivity to insulin, which also improves their diabetes, and also their um, fatty liver, which is one of the consequences of obesity. Okay, let's take a step back for a second. What are these two enzymes that the drug is targeting? These two enzymes are encoded in the human genome, and they're activated by obesity. Dr. Saltiel calls them obesogenes, kind of like oncogenes in cancer, genes that are changed in cancer and cause cells to become cancerous. These obesogenes are similar. They go up in obesity and help sustain the obese state. Here's Dr. Saltiel again. And the way they do that is that they, they cause the fat cells in the obese mouse, and this also happens in obese people, to reduce their energy expenditure. So you remember obesity is a kind of a balance between how much you eat and how much energy you expend, right? It's about calories. And in the case of obesity, what happens is as people eat more and as they get older and eat more, eventually their energy expenditure drops. The, what this drug does is increase that energy expenditure. It, it reverses that drop in energy expenditure. Got it. Now let's get back to this drug that Dr. Saltiel and his team are now testing. Dr. Saltiel and his team were looking for something that would inhibit these enzymes, and they discovered that this asthma drug made by the pharmaceutical company Takeda did exactly that. It was the, one of the first uh, inhibitors that came up, so it was lucky. We just, we just found this compound. Nobody really knew exactly how it worked for asthma after all those years because it was discovered in the, kind of, in the ancient days before molecular targets were known. So we, we also uncovered the target of the drug for asthma as we did this. But, but because it was a drug, we were able to get some of the drug from Takeda and to uh, apply, to f apply for something called an investigator IND. It allows you, it's an FDA document that allows you to do a clinical trial in people based on the safety data that had been produced by Takeda in asthmatics. So we did a clinical trial at, at Michigan to look at people with diabetes, people with obesity and type two diabetes and fatty liver. How did the study work? they just started giving the asthma drug to people with type 2 diabetes? Well, they did two studies, actually, which were both described in a single paper published recently in the journal Cell Metabolism. Here's how Dr. Saltiel describes the first study. One was an open-label study, which means that we just gave the patients in an unblinded way um, the drug. We gave it to six patients, and we measured their weight and their sensitivity to insulin and fatty liver. And it was pretty interesting. It seemed to work in four of the six patients. So in four of the six patients, they actually lost a little weight, and they had an improvement in their diabetes, a drop in their blood sugar, an improvement in their liver fat as well, four of the six patients. And what was interesting is that we got biopsies of, of the fat from the patients, from their midsection, and we checked some of the genes that we know are changed in mice. We took the biopsies from the patients at the beginning and the end of the study, and we measured some of those genes. And some of the same genes that go up in mice went up in the patients. And there was a correlation between the change in those genes and the effectiveness of the drug. That's cool, but it's, it was only six people, right? I mean, N equals six. It's not a very big study. You're right. And it was an open-label study, meaning everyone knew who was receiving the asthma drug. So there's always the chance that the results could be a little skewed because it wasn't blinded. That's where the second study comes in. Here's Dr. Saltiel. We did a second study then where we had 20 patients who were put on placebo and 20 on drug. 
and we followed them for three months, and we measured blood sugar and weight and fatty liver and, and all these other things like that, sensitivity to insulin. And we finished that study. That was a blinded study, so we didn't know which patients were on the drug and which were on placebo. At the end of the study, we looked at all the data, and it turned out that there was a statistically significant effect on blood sugar in the drug-treated group. So, so you measure that by looking at something called hemoglobin A1C, which is glycated hemoglobin. It's just a, a long-term, it's a measure of long-term exposure to glucose in the blood. So it's a blood sugar measurement. And there was a, a statistical, a statistically significant improvement in HbA1c in the drug group and not in the placebo group. So that was encouraging. And that reproduced what we had seen in the other study. But this was a better study because it was bigger and it was placebo controlled. But just because there was statistically significant improvement in those who took the drug, does that mean the drug worked for everyone or just some people? Some people responded and some didn't. When they looked at the drug-treated group, they saw something called bimodal distribution. That's a fancy way of saying there were some responders and some non-responders. And we, we didn't really understand that, so we wondered what's the difference between the responders and the non-responders? Can we figure anything out? So we went back and looked at all the data we had. You know, was there something about, at the beginning of the study, was there something about their blood sugar, their insulin levels, their weight, their gender, their age, their hemoglobin A1C, you know, something. We didn't see anything that distinguished the responders and non-responders. So nothing immediately jumped out to them. No obvious difference between the responders and non-responders. But... Then they did molecular analysis on the biopsies they'd taken from the patients at the beginning and end of the study, and... In the responder group, the level of inflammation was higher than in the non-responder group. And we know these targets for the drug are induced by inflammatory pathways in mice. So this made sense, actually. It's one of those times when actually the results made sense, which is rare. In other words, it looked like when you have more inflammation, you're more likely to respond to the drug. That was their first sign that there was something about inflammation that predisposes a person to respond to this drug. Then... And then the second thing we did was we looked at the gene expression in the, in the biopsies in response to the drug. So we looked at the genes that were expressed before and after the drug in the responders and the non-responders. And there we saw something really amazing, and that was in the non-responders, there were a total of six genes that changed from the beginning to the end of the study. So the drug induced a change in six genes in the non-responders. But in the responders, there were over 1,100 genes that changed. So there's something about the responders that allowed them to have a big change in the genes. So could doctors theoretically check people first to see if they are likely to be a responder before giving a patient this drug, just based on gene expression and inflammation? It seems like that would save a lot of money and trouble if you're not giving the wrong medicine to the wrong people. Exactly. That's the idea behind precision or personalized medicine, which we hear a lot about. Mm -hmm. The idea that we can do be a better job of giving the right medicines to the right groups of people instead of just a one-size-fits-all. So what's next? What, what do they have to do next to help us get to this more personalized approach to diabetes treatment. There are still tons of questions they want to answer about the genes involved, the cellular mechanism through which these drugs work, 
and how to potentially get this asthma drug in the clinic for diabetes patients. So that's what's exciting about this. So now we have a lot of exciting questions to ask, you know, exactly what are these genes doing and what does it all mean and how, what is the, what does the combination of genes mean, which ones are really important. We're going back to the mice now to, to study all these different genes that changed. We're studying the pathways that are activated by Amlexinox by the drug. We want to do a deep dive into figuring out which ones are really important, which ones are not, which ones are important in liver fat, and which ones are important in fat cells. How do they translate into changes in blood sugar? What combinations of drugs can we use now based on our insights into how the drug works? And then we want to go back and do another study in patients. You know, what, what is the right dose? How often should we give the drug? What other combinations can we use with patients with this drug? So there are lots and lots and lots of questions to ask. But to get to your question about personalized medicine, Dr. Saltiel says they are only just now really appreciating that diabetes is a heterogeneous disease. We think of people having diabetes as all being the same, but they're not. Their blood sugar levels are different, their weight differs, not everyone with type 2 diabetes is obese. There are a lot of components to this that the researchers don't understand yet. An example of this is inflammation. Dr. Saltiel's team looked at all the genes in the patients in the study, and there were a lot of differences in the degrees of inflammation in patients with diabetes. So he says he and his team are already working on stratifying or grouping patients in their efforts to move the drug toward the clinic in a way that targets the patients for whom it'll work the best. So we're planning a, a second study to, to really get at this question of can you stratify the patients who are likely to respond based on the, de the degree of underlying inflammation. And there's a blood test that you can do for inflammation. So that's one study that we're planning. And then the second study is can we try this in combination with another drug that we think will be particularly effective. And so we're going to try a combination study. Those will be our next two studies. But there could be lots of other things, too. That's in people. In mice, we're doing a lot, a lot more experiments on this. We have a lot of ideas. And how long do you think it'll be before we might see this asthma drug being prescribed for diabetes? It's tantalizing to think that it might be sooner rather than later since the drug is already approved for human use, but Dr. Saltiel said there's a long way to go. So I think th this is a big advance. It's not ready for the marketplace. The, you know, to get into the market, we would have to um, establish the dose, you know, figure out exactly how to use the drug, go into bigger populations. Even though the drug is, has proven to be safe in people with asthma, we have to now show it's safe in people with diabetes. So we'd have to do big studies in phase three to, to demonstrate the safety of the drug, you know. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's unlikely that there are going to be big safety problems, but you never know. It could be something about diabetics or obese patients that are, are particularly sensitive to side effects that we haven't seen. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on this as it progresses. Until then, that's it for this episode of N equals 1. I'm Heather. And I'm Yavira. Thanks for joining us.